If you're here with us for the first time or new to City Church, uh, we are going through a series in the book of 2 Corinthians called uh, Power and Weakness. Power and Weakness. That is our theme, and that's what we see throughout this book is God's power through weak human beings. We're going to see, Lord willing, next week that Jesus said to Paul, my strength or my power is made perfect in weakness. And so that's a reoccurring theme that we see throughout this letter. Last week we looked at how the Apostle Paul called the Corinthian church to live out the gospel by being generous people. Those who've experienced the grace of God, the generosity of God in bringing rescue and redemption are are led to being generous people because that's who God is. And he changes us into his, his, we're, we're new creations in Christ Jesus. And he changes us from the inside out, from being mere takers and receivers to those who are conduits. Not only recipients, but conduits of his grace into the lives of others. And this is when we feel fully alive. This is when we experience joy in its fullness. When we're not only receivers, but we're also givers. And we have life not only coming to us and into us, but life flowing out of us. Today, the Apostle Paul, we're going to look in chapter uh, 10, and we see that he changes his tone a bit. Uh, he goes into some dialogue with the uh, Corinthians defending his authority. And I've titled this message, Leading Through Conflict, because there was a battle occurring in the Corinthian church. Actually, all of the all of Christian life is warfare. There is a battle. We're brought in to the family of God as the people of God, and we're brought into a battle. There's a battleground that, that we're fighting. There's there's a battle for what's true and what's right. All right? And there's an enemy. And there's deception. And the apostle Paul was combating that. Paul had led the Corinthians to Christ. He had, he had preached the gospel to them. He showed up and he started the, the, the Corinthian church and, and he had taught them for, uh, I guess about 18 months or so. Uh, he was there teaching them and he was discipling them and he was pointing them to Christ. And then he, he continued his travels. And, and while he was away, there were, there were some who, who came into the church who were trying to lead the church astray. He describes them as super apostles or false apostles, um, workers of deceit, okay? And so the apostle Paul recognized that there was a battle going on and they were challenging. There were some within the Corinthian church who were challenging Paul's authority, all right, which, which would, would also mean that, that Paul's message, the gospel of Jesus Christ, would be challenged as well. And Paul was concerned about them being led astray. And so what we see here in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and in through 11, and uh, we see is we see some powerful leadership principles. We see the apostle Paul exercising godly authority, leading with humility, leading with love, and leading with the truth. And so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 10, starting in verse 1. And if you all would stand with me for the reading of God's word. If you don't have your scripture with you, we have it up on the screen. For I, Paul, myself entreat you by the meekness and the gentleness of Christ. I, who am humble when face to face with you, but bold toward you when I am away. I beg of you. That when I am present, I may not have to show boldness with such confidence as I count on showing against some who suspect us of walking according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments in every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. And take every thought captive to obey Christ. 
being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. Look at what is before your eyes. If anyone is confident that he is Christ, let him remind himself that just as he is Christ, so also are we. For even if I boast a little too much of our authority, which the Lord gave for building you up and not for destroying you, I will not be ashamed. I do not want to appear to be frightening with you, frightening, appear to be frightening you with my letters. For they say, quote, his letters are weighty and strong, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech is of no account. Let such a person understand that what we say by letter when absent, we do when present. Not that we dare to classify or compare ourselves with some of those who are commending themselves. But they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another. They are without understanding. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So here's our big idea this morning. True authority comes from God, and those who represent Christ are marked by humility, truth, and love. True authority comes from God, and those who represent Christ are marked by humility, truth, and love. Okay? So the Apostle Paul said in chapter 5 that he was an ambassador for Christ. He was sent by Christ as an apostle, as a sent one, and as an ambassador, one who would represent Christ and bring the message of reconciliation to the Corinthian church and to the churches. And, and so Paul was following the leadership of Jesus in humility and truth and love. But, but as he was seeking to lead and shepherd the Corinthian church, and at this point from a distance, there was a problem. There was some spiritual warfare. There was a conflict that was occurring. There was a threat brought to the church. Okay? There was criticism of Paul's leadership, first of all. There were accusations that Paul was inconsistent, incompetent, unskilled, cowardly, an illegitimate of apostolic authority, okay? Now, the apostles of Christ are those who encountered the risen Christ, who saw Jesus and were commissioned and sent by Jesus. Jesus told them in in Matthew 28, he said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. And so Christ has all authority. He rules and he reigns and he has called and commissioned apostles. Okay? He had apostles that he sent to go preach the word. And these apostles who were anointed by God and inspired by the Holy Spirit to write scripture, okay? They went out and they they represented the authority of Christ. They represented the agenda of Christ and they communicated the message of Christ. This is what Paul did And the Corinthians had come to know Jesus, the Messiah, the one true God, through the Apostle Paul's ministry. And so the Apostle Paul had authority in their lives that was given to him by the grace of God, that was given to him for their building up. Okay, that's that's what he said. He was given authority to build them up. But there were these other leaders who were crafty, who were gifted, who had influence within the church. And Paul was concerned, the threat was that they would be, that the Corinthian church would be led astray by a different gospel through these false apostles. Okay? Now, the Corinthian culture, as we've talked about, the Corinthian, uh, the Corinth and the culture of Corinth was, uh, as one scholar described it, was kind of like New York, Los Angeles and, and um, um, Los Angeles and Nevada. Uh, what is it? Uh, 
Las Vegas, okay, combined together. Las Vegas, Los Angeles, and New York combined together. There was this worldly culture of materialism that it was about um, uh, image, okay? It was, there, was, there was an emphasis on intellect and, and, and um, eloquence of speech. And the Apostle Paul had to counter those values as he followed the, 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 the way of Jesus, the way of humility, the way of love, the way of truth, the way of righteousness. And he had to counter some of those tendencies that they had. As one theologian, D.A. Carson, says, describing the Corinthians, he says this, the Corinthians were quick to seize every emphasis in Christianity that spoke or seemed to speak of spiritual power, of exaltation with Christ, of freedom, of triumph, of victorious Christian living, of leadership, of religious success. But they neglected or suppressed the accents in Christianity that stressed meekness, servanthood, obedience, humility, the need to follow Christ in suffering if one is to follow him in his crown. They glimpsed what Christ had done Yet they had failed to um, contemplate what remains to be done. They understood that D-Day had arrived, but they mistook it for V-Day. They loved Christian triumphalism, but they did not know how to live under the sign of the cross. Okay? And so, first of all, let's look at Paul's approach to addressing this conflict, to engaging in this spiritual warfare, this battle that was occurring in the Corinthian church, around the Corinthian church. Paul's approach to the conflict was to approach it with humility and confrontation, okay? He wasn't going to err on the side of of lording it over and, and demanding and, and coming down with a heavy fist and using his authority in a heavy, uh, um, un, un, uh, unbearable kind of way. But he, he and, and he, neither did he neglect the problem. It, neither did he run from the problem that there were, there was an issue within the church. He didn't hide from it. So he was addressing it. He was confronting. There's an issue here that needs to be addressed. But he did it with humility. Notice in verse 1, he says, I, Paul, myself entreat you by the meekness and the gentleness of Christ. Okay? Now, I think this is important because Paul, Paul was, first of all, Paul was looked down upon as being, as he goes on to say, um, and he's referring to how they saw him, a humble, uh, I am who, am who, I who am humble when face to face with you, but bold toward you when I'm away. Paul's quoting, he's referring to what they described him as being, as, as one who shows boldness when, when he's away, um, but, but cowardice when he's present. He, they charged him of inconsistency. They charged him of, 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 of uh, and, 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 and they looked down upon humility. Note this, that in the first century, in this culture, Humility was not seen as a virtue, okay? It was not an honorable quality. It was considered a character defect or a flaw to be a humble person, okay? So this was one of the issues that, that many of the crowds had with Jesus because he came as a meek and humble, the Lamb of God, who was slain for the sin of the world, and, and many in, in, in the Jewish community, we're looking for this mighty, powerful Messiah who would fight a physical war and overthrow the Roman government. And so, so Paul was following the way of Jesus in his leadership style in addressing the conflict that, w- that was within the church. And what he does here in verse 1 is very skilled by mentioning, I myself, Paul, entreat you. By the meekness and the gentleness of Christ. He's, he's connecting his leadership with the leadership of Jesus. The one who said, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. In Matthew eleven twenty nine, For I am lowly and gentle in heart. That's our Lord. 
That's our Savior. True authority came to us in the person of Jesus, and he was marked by humility and gentleness. He was marked by love, and he was marked by truth. And we see the Apostle Paul following in the footsteps of our Savior, following in the footsteps of the one who is gentle and lowly in heart. And yet this is not seen as a quality in Paul and in his leadership. It's seen as weakness, as a flaw, as somebody who can't deliver the kind of leadership that the Corinthians deserve to have. And so the super apostles were trying to lure them away to the cultural, the cultural standards of leadership. And so Paul addresses it. I who am humble and, and First century writing describes Paul as a man of little stature, as a man who was bald and had some, somewhat of a, a crooked nose and, 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 and maybe had some issue with his walking or whatever. Now, the bottom line is there, there, there wasn't a whole lot of impressiveness when you looked at him. At least that's what the Corinthians saw and that's what some of the early writings in describing him. And Paul wasn't putting his confidence and some kind of fleshly impressiveness, as the world did. Paul's confidence was in the power of the Holy Spirit. Paul's confidence was in the power of the gospel to transform lives, not in human ability and giftedness. Okay? And so we'll go on here. So Paul approached the conflict with humility and confrontation. Paul addresses the criticism The criticism that he was humble when face to face, but he was bold toward them when he was away. Verse 10 says, his letters are weighty and strong, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech is of no account. So, so they were, they were critiquing his leadership. They were, they were calling into question his apostolic authority and thus calling into question the message that he proclaimed, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so this was a threat. And so Paul had to address it, not for his own sake, because he wanted to keep image before, uh, these, these, those who suspected him to be an incompetent leader, but for the sake of the Corinthians. For the sake of the gospel having its transformative work in their lives and the, and the Corinthians not being led astray from Christ, but continue in the way of Jesus as Paul had followed. He, he told the Corinthians, imitate me in chapter uh, 10, 11, 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1, I believe. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. And Paul was imitating Christ in his humility. This was a good thing. This is a godly thing. Yet it wasn't valued within Christian culture. And so the other thing that they they um, they highlighted, or or what he points out that they suspected, was that he walked according to the flesh. There's, there's a couple of different translations here uh, that that um, that give some insight to what he's talking about here. Uh, the ESV says, some who suspect us as walking according to the flesh. The message says, those who say, I am unpr- an unprincipled opportunist. Um, the NLT says, those who think we act from human motives. The Net Bible says that some who consider us to be behaving as according to human standards. And the Holman Christian Standard Bible says, people who think that we are behaving in an unspiritual way. Okay, now we, we've already seen in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 that the Apostle Paul had to correct the Corinthians' idea of what being truly spiritual is. See, for in the Corinthian church, they thought being truly spiritual was, was speaking in tongues and having these amazing spiritual experiences and having eloquence of speech. And the Apostle Paul redirected their focus and pointed them to a life that is marked by love. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. This is what a truly spiritual person looks like. They have the love of Christ. This is the badge of the disciples of Jesus Christ. They love Christ as he has loved us. John 13, 34 and 35. 
And so they, they suspected, some of these influencers suspected that Paul was walking according to the flesh. Now, Paul describes uh, walking or the flesh in a couple different ways. One as being in the body, like as a human. And Paul wouldn't, wouldn't argue against that he was walking in his body as a human, all right? Right, he was a human, and he embraced the the limitations, the human weakness and limitations that he had as a human. He wasn't a god; he was a human being. All right, and he was dependent upon the power of God, the power of the Holy Spirit, and the power of the gospel. Okay, now Paul also describes being in the flesh or walking according to the flesh as the sinful nature, the corrupt selfish, egotistic nature that exalts self and rebels against God and his ways. Okay, that's the flesh, the sinful nature, right? Um, Tom Constable says this. He says, Paul admitted that he walked in the flesh, was only human, but denied that he worked according to the flesh as carnal Christians or unbelievers do. He was contrasting living in the world and living as worldly. Okay, so we see back in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1, Paul described how he approached the Corinthians when he first came to them. He says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1. And when I came to you, brothers, and when I, when, and I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness and fear and much trembling. I love that Paul can admit that and say that. It points to what he was, who and what he was depending in on. And I was with you with weakness and fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom. He wasn't seeking tech, worldly techniques to try to win people over. Okay? But in demonstration of the spirit and of power. So that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Paul wanted the Corinthians to be truly converted through hearing the gospel and experiencing the power of the gospel and experiencing the ministry of the Holy Spirit to convict, to change, to, to lead them into a godly life. And, and, and he didn't want them to be dependent upon shortcuts and quick fix and hacks, life hacks for the Christian life. Okay? Christianity for dummies. Paul was trying to teach them the way of Jesus, which was humble dependence upon the Father, upon the Spirit, upon the powerful words of God. So Paul had some opponents here, and he describes in these chapters his opponent, his opponents, and those who were troublemakers, those who who were threats, who were threatening the spiritual health of the Corinthian church. And David Garland highlights these uh, well in within these next chapters, and he uh, describes some of the the characteristics of they were comparing themselves with themselves and commending themselves unduly. They were poaching upon Paul's mission field. Okay. Paul had led these folks to Christ, okay? They were, they were being ignorant of the true source of authority, the Lord. They were seducing the Corinthians as Satan did to Eve, okay? They were preaching another Jesus, spirit, and gospel, and they were boasting unduly, okay? So there's a threat, there's a problem, there's a conflict. There is some spiritual warfare happening okay so how did paul address it he addressed it with humility he confronted it but notice that he used he described the mighty weapons that he used in this battle okay paul had some mighty weapons they were different than the world's weapons but he described his weapons as being powerful in response to the accusations that Paul was, was weak and didn't have spiritual power, 
Paul acknowledged his human weakness, but he also acknowledged that the power of God was working through him. And he wasn't the one manipulating that. It was God working through him, and he was God's servant. He was God's sent one, God's apostle, sent to the Corinthians, representing the authority of Jesus. Verse 3 says, for though we walk in the flesh, okay, we're human beings, we are not waging war according to the flesh, okay? It's not, it's not according to the flesh that, that we're, we're fighting the battle for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but they have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments in every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. So the Apostle Paul described his weapons as being powerful. What, what kind of powerful weapons did the Apostle Paul use to combat lies, to combat strongholds that were set up in the lives of people? Well, he followed the way of Jesus and he used the truth of Scripture. The sword of the spirit, as he described it in Ephesians chapter 6. The the offensive weapon that is described in Ephesians chapter 6 as he unpacks what spiritual warfare looks like. In Ephesians 6, he says that for we we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, rulers of darkness. And he goes on to describe the armor of God and the the defensive uh, weapons that we have and the offensive weapons that we have and the sword of the spirit. When Jesus faced Satan off in the wilderness and he hadn't eaten for 40 days and he was hungry and he was tempted by Satan to sin and disobey the father. Each time Jesus was tempted in Matthew 4, what did he do? He said, it is written he had scripture in his heart in his mind okay the word of god possessed the word of god within him he took on flesh and he himself had stored scriptural truth in his heart and his mind and when satan came to tempt him he withstood with the truth of scripture the powerful sword of the spirit to combat those strongholds those lies and you and i must do the same We must resist Satan's lies with the truth of Scripture. We must become well acquainted with what God has said and what God God means by what he has said. And we must become well acquainted with obeying what God says and carrying out what God says so that we can truly experience the blessing that comes from walking in in obedient relationship to him. And so Paul was following Jesus's way, using the sword of the spirit, using the power of the gospel contained within the scriptures. He was preaching to tear down strongholds. Now, there were worldly weapons and Ray Stedman describes the worldly weapons that um, that he could have looked to or that others look to. What are those worldly weapons? What are the weapons? What does the world use to try to solve the problems it recognizes in society? You know what it uses, coercion, coercion, manipulation, pressure groups, compromises, or demonstrations that ultimately result in raised voices, quenched fists, and outbreaks of conflict. These are the weapons of the world. Hopefully that doesn't describe anybody's holidays experiences, holiday experiences that are coming up. Um, but unfortunately, it probably does for some. There's tension, there's conflict, spiritual battle that's happening in the family and around the family. By the way, this is, that's a great application for us as, as we're going into Thanksgiving and Christmas, just recognizing, going into it, recognizing that there is a battle and there are high things that exalt themselves against the knowledge of God that family members have believed about God that hinder them from coming to know God, the one true God. And we need to lovingly and humbly and skillfully address those issues as the Lord gives us opportunity to do so. So what are some other worldly weapons? David Guzik describes um, 
the contrast between Ephesians 6 and the armor of God and the worldly weapons. He said, instead of the breastplate of righteousness, they fought with the image of success. Instead of the belt of truth, they fought with manipulation. Instead of the shoes of the gospel, they fought with smooth words. Instead of the shield of faith, they fought with the perception of power. Instead of the helmet of salvation, they fought with lording over authority. Instead of the sword of the spirit, they fought with human schemes and programs. And so Paul describes the battlefield as being one that is in the heart and the mind of people. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, he said that the God of this world, referring to Satan, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe the glorious gospel. There's blinders that have been put on unbelievers that keep them from believing the gospel of Christ. And we need God's power, therefore, to combat and counter those uh, blind those strongholds those blinders but he describes the battlefield of the mind here he says that uh, to take every thought captive to obey christ again christ is the source of authority christ is the one who sent the apostle paul and christ is the one who we are to submit to as well because he is our lord and he is our savior we belong to him and every thought that comes our way from this world, philosophies and, and ideas that don't line up with the scripture, you and I must resist that. Just like Jesus did, just like Paul did by saying it is written and, and stand against those lies. Um, Tom Constable describes the lofty things or the pretensions uh, that Paul's writing about here. He says they include any Include any human act or attitude that asserts itself as being superior to God's will or God's or God's truth. Paul claimed to make it his aim to bring all such thoughts and actions into submission to what Christ has revealed in his word. I love what Martin Luther says uh, uh, um, that's connected to this. He says that we can't stop I can't stop the birds from flying over my head, but I can stop them from making a nest on my head. Okay? There are thoughts and ideas that come our way that we're bombarded with every single day. Oftentimes through our screens, through advertisement, through voices of others that we listen to, or maybe just while we're, while, while we're driving, while we're by ourselves, Ideas and thoughts come that are not from God, all right? And we can't stop the flow of thoughts coming to our mind, right? We ultimately, um, just like we can't stop birds flying overhead, but we can, we can refuse to allow those birds to make nests on our, head, on our heads. We can reject ungodly thoughts, false thoughts, false, false ideas that come our way when they do. All right, and that's what we must do. We must take every thought captive to obey Jesus because he is our Lord. And this is the battle. This is the battle that we fight, and we must do so with the sword of the Spirit, with the word of God. We must resist Satan and submit to God. And James 4 says that Satan will flee from us. Go down a little bit further, and we see Paul highlighting the error of comparison. The, the Corinthian culture had, um, had a tendency, and specifically these, these influencers, these super apostles, to comparison, to performance, to putting on a good show with smooth speech and, and showing all the, the lofty things that they know. And the apostle Paul says this in verse 11 and 12. He says, let such a person understand that what we say by letter when absent, we do when present. In other words, we're consistent. Okay, we're not double-minded. Not that we dare to classify or compare ourselves with some of those who are commending themselves, but when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another, they are without understanding. 
Now note, note the error of comparison that the Apostle Paul is highlighting here because I think we've all given into this and, and we're more prone to do that today with social media. It's so easy to compare ourselves with other people by scrolling through what other people are up to, where other people are vacationing, what other people are doing, all right, what other people are eating. And we're and, and you know and it, and it breeds discontent within our hearts. It brings it breeds jealousy and envy and contempt towards others. It breeds pride when we're when we compare ourselves to someone who's not doing as well as us. And it is a danger for us to compare ourselves with others and the standards of others because other people and their convictions aren't our standards. Jesus is our standard of righteousness. Jesus is our leader. And his word describes the standard that we are to live our lives by. And the Lord has wired and gifted each one of us uniquely. Okay? He has purposely gifted each one of us uniquely. So it's foolish to compare ourselves with others who are more gifted in areas that God hasn't made us gifted in. It's okay that other people are more gifted in other areas than you and I. And we should embrace the humility of that by acknowledging in the body of Christ, we need each other. We need God. We were never made to operate without God, right? God didn't create us with, um, uh, with, he didn't create us to be independent. He created us to be in relationship with him. And we have human limitations and weaknesses. And that's by design. That's by design because his strength fits perfect in our weakness. We're made for him. And we as the body of Christ, as different members, as parts of the body of Christ, as the Apostle Paul described in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we need the body of Christ. We need to have this healthy interdependence in the church, recognizing that we need the strengths of others. And we need to open our lives and make room in our lives to receive from the strengths and the gifts of others. And we need to open our lives and give our strengths and our gifts and our abilities to the lives of others, for, to serve others, okay? And so anyways, there, the error of comparison as we can see it in here. It's not wise. It's foolish to compare ourselves and measure ourselves by others and their standards, we also see here in, in chapter 11, we see Paul's loving, Paul has loving concern for the Corinthians. Pardon the typo here. Paul has loving concern for the Corinthians. And in chapter 11, we see that and we, we see love, humility, and truth coming through his leadership and through his authority into their lives. He says, I wish that you would bear with me a little foolishness. Do you bear with me? I feel a divine jealousy for you since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. Paul describes the church as the bride of Christ. Okay. And there's a wedding day coming. We're going to see Jesus. All right. And there's going to be a great wedding feast. We're going to see our Lord. And he goes on uh, to describe his loving concern and the humility and the truth and the love that he walked in towards them. Verse 7 of chapter 11. Or did I commit a sin in humbling myself so that you might be exalted because I preached God's gospel to you free of charge? I, I robbed other churches by accepting support from them in order to serve you. And when I was with you was in, in, was with you and was in need, I did not burden anyone. For the brothers who came from Macedonia supplied all my need. So I refrained and will refrain from burdening, burdening, burdening you in any way. As the truth of Christ is in me, this boasting of mine will not be silenced in the regions of Acacia. And why? Because I do not love you. God knows I do. And so Paul describes what his actions of not receiving 
financial support from the Corinthians as a way of humbling himself. He had a right to, as an apostle, to receive support from the churches. And, and, and Paul uh, taught this. The Old Testament teaches this. The New Testament teaches this. Um, that, that, that those who preach the gospel should, should uh, uh, have their financial support from uh, their leadership from that um, in, in doing so. But, but Paul chose to exercise that right in meekness and in humility so that the Corinthians wouldn't point and say, you're in it for the money. We know you're in it for the money. And so Paul didn't give them an opportunity to accuse them of that. He humbled himself in this particular way. And we see him addressing those who were criticizing him in humility. I don't know about you, but when, when I'm criticized... There is a temptation. Any time we're criticized, there is a temptation to rise up in pride and defend ourselves. Right? Amen. Yeah, we, we know. Like that's that's when you start stepping on toes, like when you get your toes stepped on and people start talking about whatever in, in, in you, there's a tendency towards rising up in pride. And Paul's response was one of humility. One of grace, one of patience, one of love. And, and Paul said, you know, in, in these chapters, Paul says, I can come strong to you guys. And I don't, I don't want to have to come strong. I don't want to, as he says in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, I don't want to have to bring the rod when I come to you guys, right? And use my apostolic authority in a strong, severe way. I would prefer that those who are re- rebellious and stirring up trouble i prefer that they would repent that that the church would address these guys and say hey this is wrong what you're doing is wrong that it would be addressed so that when i come things would go much more smoothly and joyfully and so paul was was walking in that he had humility he had love the truth he had truth in verse 10 and the truth of christ is in me Paul represented Christ. He was an ambassador for Christ. He was committed to preaching Christ crucified. Paul said in chapter 4, he said, Him we preach. We don't preach ourselves, but Christ we preach as Lord and yourselves and, and ourselves as his servants. And so Paul was concerned about the gullibility of the Corinthians to give in to these false teachers. He said this in verse 3 and 4. He said, But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different, uh, a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. Okay? So, so Paul highlights here that just like Eve was deceived by the serpent, by Satan, and gave in to his deception, he was concerned that the Corinthians would be led astray by these false apostles, those who, who presented themselves as, as messengers from God, but who he calls messengers of Satan, workers of deceit. Satan said to, to Eve in Genesis chapter 3, did God really say that? Did God say you really, really did he say that you're going to die? Is that true? He challenged the source of authority, God's authority. He challenged what God has says and said, and he continues to do that today. He challenges with philosophies and, and, and uh, proud arguments and lofty opinions from intellectual smart people challenges did god really say that and you and i as the people of god must know what god has said we must treasure it in our hearts store it in our minds cling to it stand on it we we must dig into what do we believe and why do we believe it and know how to skillfully use the truth that we've learned from scripture 
to combat the lies of Satan and the, the temptations that come our way. And deceitful workers, false teachers, false apostles. This was an issue in the Corinthian church, and this is an issue, a threat that we face today with all the with the access to to all kinds of teaching on youtube and and um, social media and access to uh, just through the web, we are confronted with all kinds of of teachings that Paul says that in, in Ephesians chapter four that he doesn 't want the church to be like children tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine, okay, and immaturity be tossed around by every idea that comes their way that sounds convincing. But rather, he wants them to grow up through those leaders speaking the truth in love and through the church speaking the truth in love to one another, lovingly communicating the truth of the gospel, the truth of scripture, confronting lies, confronting sin and toxic behavior and ungodliness with the truth. And so let me close with a couple points of application here. First of all, recognize that God's authority comes to us in humility, truth, and love. We see that in Jesus, full of grace and truth. He humbled himself. He didn't compromise the truth. He, he didn't say, yeah, there's many ways. No, he said, I am the way the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. And he loved people. He loved the rebellious. He loved the outcast. He loved the sinner. He was called a friend of sinners. And he sought to seek and he, uh, he, sought, he aimed to seek and save that which is lost. He sought out lost people. And he hung around them and he shared the truth of scripture with them. And he showed the love of God to them. And he showed them what God was like. Jesus embodied God's authority here on earth. The apostle Paul followed in his footsteps. And those of us who represent Christ in any realm of authority must be characterized by these, these qualities as well. Humility, truth, and love. This is the badge of discipleship. This is the mark of a child of God. This is the mark of a disciple. And then know that you're in a spiritual battle. And it must be fought by the power of the Spirit and the truth of Scripture. Sometimes we forget that we're in a spiritual battle. And we just think it's all natural causes that, that we're experiencing. And so we try to address our problems and our conflicts with just reason, human reason and human ability. And, and we forget that there's a spiritual battle going on, that there's a, there's a battle in the hearts and the minds over what's true, over God's agenda in our lives and in the world. And so we must recognize that. When you go into the holidays, this this um, Thanksgiving and this Christmas and you're with family, remember there's a battle going on. If you got conflict with family members, maybe some unforgiveness, hurt, pain within the family, there's, 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 some, there's a battle around that. And we have to combat that with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Tear down those strongholds. Maybe, maybe we, can, we would do well to do some battle before we go into that situation. Right, so that when that family member says says that thing or does that thing again, that just totally sets us off. <laughs> that we're ready. That we've already in our heart forgiven that person. We prayed for that person. We've decided beforehand. I'm going to respond in humility and love and grace, and I'm going to confront this because it's affecting the family in a negative way. It's toxic, right? This is what the apostle Paul did. And we can follow in the footsteps of Jesus and his example. And then lastly, guard against worldly practices of self-centered boasting, performance, and comparison. This was the Corinthian way. This was the worldly, fleshly uh, approach to leadership and making an impact and influencing others. 
So guard against that. Reject that. We boast. We are, Paul finishes chapter 10 up with saying that let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Our, our boasting should only be in God. And we have a, we're, we're wired to boast. We're going to boast about something. And we're wired ultimately to boast in God about what God has done and who God is. In our flesh, when we live according to our flesh, we tend to boast about our accomplishments and what we've done or what we can do or what we know. And so let us reject that. Amen. Lord, we desire to follow your way. Apply your truth to our lives and walk in humility and love. Speak the truth in love. Live out the truth that we know. Apply it to our lives. Would you tear down strongholds in our lives? Strongholds of fear, pride, and independence, and independent spirit. Strongholds of unforgiveness. Strongholds of comparison. Lord, set us free. Free to walk in your love and humility. Free to serve others. Free to not try to impress other people. Be something that we're not. Or what you haven't called us to be may we experience the joy of freedom in you and using that freedom to serve one another in love lead us not into temptation and deliver us from the evil one God may we have our minds renewed be transformed by the renewing of our minds. I pray with Jesus, John 17, 17, God, that you would sanctify us by your truth. Your word is truth.